Peace. Welcome to another episode of Bootstraps. I'm your host, Anefriesian. And if you're new to the podcast, I have two quick favors to ask. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you're on Instagram, go on over and give us a follow at Bootstraps Podcast. So I have loved every episode I've been able to put out to date. They, they're all special. They're all a part of building this uh, narrative and the brand that is Bootstraps. But today is a first. Today is my first C-Sweeter. Um, and it's you know kind of a cool moment being able to bring such senior level insights um, to the world through this platform. So I think you're going to get a lot from today's episode. And one of the important things that's going to come through is this concept of knowing your worth. So today's guest is a chief financial officer and something that's inspiring or impressive about the science and art of finance is it literally is about figuring out the value of a thing, whether it's a a building, um, a person, intellectual property, whatever it may be, you figure out how to value these things through finance and Oftentimes, in our careers, we don't really apply our our craft and our expertise back to our own lives. But as you listen to the career arc of this amazing individual, he was able to apply his skill as a finance professional back to himself. And he had a very clear understanding of what his worth was at all times. And it wasn't really... Uh, on the table to accept and stomach being given what was less than he had earned. So I think there's going to be a lot to learn. You're going to be able to learn a lot um, through this episode, a lot that you'll be able to apply to your own career, but it's also just a really engaging and entertaining story um, from beginning to end. So I won't belabor the point. Let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of Bootstraps. This is a special one. I got my first C-Sweeter on here. Uh, brother, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody your name and tell them what it is that you do. Thanks. It's, uh, yeah, this is Ted McElroy. Um, interesting to be introduced as a C-Sweeter still because uh, most days it still doesn't feel like that. But I am the uh, CFO and COO of a company called uh, Fusion Projects. We make... A lot of different alcohol brands, actually. Uh, Four Loco uh, is the main one that I think a lot of people be recognized. Uh, but you know, it's 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 a it's a great gig, man. It's 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 fun. I get to interact with a lot of people that are that are candidly a lot younger than I am, uh, and it's the first time in my career where I've gone from uh, being the being the young guy in the room to being the old guy in the room. So it's been an interesting. <laughs> an interesting transition for me. I was used to, used to being in the room, uh, at, you know, 35, 36, 37 with people that are 15 or 20 years older than me. And now I've got a, I'm 39 and I got people that are 15 years younger than me. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So what, what is, what is, uh, so first thing I think of is like, yo, if, if that's the definition of being washed, so like if being washed comes with a, with being in a C-suite, like I'm all right with that. <laughs> but uh, what 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 is that like for you to go through that? Like, 
cultural shift, right? Where it's a bunch of, you know, what it, what it typically means to be a C-suite or folks are in their fifties and, um, you know, you're much younger as a director of VP role. And now, not only are you, uh, you know, in the C-suite and you, you, there are very few people who are on your level or above you, but then you also have to deal with the cultural dynamic where there's a lot of people in their mid twenties working in the company. What's, what's that been like for you? You know, it's, it's interesting because uh, I think the first thing I would say, I was talking to my wife last night just about life. And I was like, man, it's, it's, it's real when you, when you realize that there are people that will openly admit that you're, uh, <laughs> you're their role model and you're, they're trying to have you mentor them. It's a, it's a big difference. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things with these, these younger folks now, they aren't scared to just come at you straight up and be like, you know, I want to be like you. I want you to be mentored. Like, and I'm looking at how you've shaped your career and want to learn more about it. So I think that's first and foremost, one of the biggest, most interesting things is just that um, there's a lot of stuff with my current role in the current company that that's, that's new for me. Uh, it's the first time that I've been at a smaller company. Um, it's the first time that I've, you know, we talk, people will talk a lot about being your authentic self. Uh, this is the first role I've had where I'm actually able to be my authentic self. Uh, mm -hmm. The guys that I work for that started the company are just, they're amazing guys. Uh, but they value what I value. You know, they value diversity of thought. They value diversity of people. Right. And they, and like, they're also not afraid to speak your mind. And I think that's one of the things also that then carries over when you're working with 24 and 25 year olds and 26 year olds, they're not afraid to speak their mind about what they think is uh, the right thing to do, which is, I, I think, a big difference from, you know, when I was coming up as, a, as my first or second job. So yeah. uh, lots of cultural shifts involved. Uh, and again, you know, kind of having to be the, the responsible adult. Uh, while that was always true in every job that I've had, it's, it's more true now than ever because it's, you know, people looking up to you to make the right decisions to, to really move things forward. So. Yeah, yeah, no, that's huh, that's real. And I, the the thing that's popping into my mind was had a had a conversation uh, about diversity and inclusion in another episode with Brother Courtney Schroeder, mm -hmm. and we were talking about the value and the benefit of diversity of thought and diversity and inclusion and how that makes companies better. And there's these new these new companies that are being built that are working that in into the fiber from the ground up, and yep. they're winning. And other companies who are, you know, bigger, older, or just for whatever reason, haven't uh, been on the forefront of working in, you know, diverse thought, diverse backgrounds um, and creating space for it. You know, they're, they're becoming dinosaurs and they're having a hard time launching new innovations. They're having a hard time growing market share, just winning. But it's because they're so locked into this old modality. So I find that I find that interesting. Um, and one thing I wanted to click on with, with you is um, this idea of uh, being able to bring your authentic self to work, you know, as a black man. I mean, I remember sitting in a conference a few years ago and someone was talking about that and me and all my boys were like, get the, you know, get out of here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like that yeah. was just something that we thought was never ever going to be remotely possible for black folks. So this is in 2016 this conference happened. So what it, talk to me about that. What has that been like for you in your own career journey? Did you think that 
you know, you'd ever be able to bring your authentic self to work and, and why not? And, and so, yeah, just tell, tell me about so, what that experience has been like for you. I mean, I think until today, no, right? Like until my current role, absolutely not. Uh, and I, I mean, I would go out, I would recruit. I tried to get, uh, I tried to get black and brown people into the companies that I was at. Uh, and I would talk about being authentic self and kind of with a wink and a nod, uh, because it wasn't, it wasn't real. Uh, and I think that, you know, the, the, one of the most frustrating parts of it was you give all the, all this lip, lip service to it. Um, and at the end of the day, after there's an event that just really resonates in my mind. It was when, uh, all of the Charlottesville things happened. Uh, mm. I went out on the ledge and brought my authentic self in one day and I was the CFO of a different company. Uh, well, like a vice president CFO role of a different company then. Um, and the net of the conversation that I had uh, with the person with the person that was leading HR at that point was me saying, we've really got to say something about this. People are hurting. Uh, our, our building can, contained a manufacturing site. The manufacturing site was over 50% black. Uh, and we really need to stand up and say what's happened in Charlottesville is wrong, right? Like it wasn't like what Trump said. It was not good people on both sides um and it was wrong and we need to say that people are hurting and standing up the response that i got was basically why would we do that that's far that's not close to here oh wow uh, and it's like you know you talk about you, it was wow. another reminder of the lip service that people and and, and i was you know fairly senior <laughs> in that role too uh but it was we can't you know why would we do that the lip service like the politics of being in a big company all of the above. Um, and I think that, you know, you have negative personal reactions when you do something like that, but it's also indicative just of the layers of uh, complexity that you've got to kind of surf through every day. So um, yeah. when you're already fighting a battle, because I mean, for me, I've never had a boss that quote unquote looked like me. Right. Um, so until today, uh, I'd never had another black male that was, my boss uh, to look up to. That's a layer of complexity that's out there. But when you think about being your authentic self, if you don't have anybody else that looks like you around or that are even close to your level, I think you're keenly also aware of when you speak up and when you do something differently or when the music that you like is different than, than what everybody else likes or, or TV shows or politics, whatever it might be. Uh, you're aware of the damage it can do to your career if you speak up. Yeah, I mean, you just you just blew my mind. Like, I've never had a black boss. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's 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 a it's a problem. I mean, it's it's you know, I wow. I used to think it was uh with my career being mostly in finance, I used to think it was a finance thing, right? That it's a uh, it's a you know, I would look around at the other departments, marketing, there would be more brothers and sisters in marketing, there would be more brothers and sisters definitely in supply chain. Uh, but it was few and far between. And I mean, it still is. Uh, and I certainly think there's a reason for that. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's, that's where the bias comes into play. Like, you know, me being a marketer, I have, I've known and I still know, it's just a ridiculous amount of highly skilled, very well-trained, just brilliant, talented marketers. But, you know, oftentimes they end up jumping to go start their own companies um, or they just keep 
moving around, just looking for a place in which they could bring their authentic self to work, which then is where the cynicism comes from. You know, where it's like, they just don't, when, when people aren't like you, the assumption is if you let them into the black experience, it's going to make them really uncomfortable and they're, and they're going to disappoint you because they're, they're not going to be able to handle like your, your reality very well. I remember I, we went to travel. I worked for a company and we had a plant in uh, Indiana mm-hmm. and we were coming back from the plant and we were on the freeway heading to the airport uh, in Indianapolis. And I just looked over and it was, you know, I, I said, wow. Um, before I can even think, because I looked over and I saw a bumper sticker on the back of a minivan that had, I'm not exaggerating, Ted, like, <laughs> it had like KKK, like hoods mm. as a sticker on the back of a minivan. And I was like, yeah. I mean, being from, being from California, that was just a wow moment. And uh, I said, wow, out loud, my manager asked, She's like what? And I was like, I didn't want to bring it up, but then it's like I'd already, you know, blurted out wow. So I went ahead and pointed it out because it was still like right there. I was like, look at that sticker on the back of the car. And she looked and she saw it, got super uncomfortable. She turned flush, and then she just changed the topic. And I was like, noted. In that situation, you can't tell me I can bring my authentic self to work. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And you just can't. Yeah. It's part of this conversation, you know, like, like, I think it's interesting because the, the net result of some of that is you spend the majority of time somewhat uncomfortable. I mean, I think for me, you don't really even think about it. You got a work self and you got a, a home self and they don't really mix. <laughs> so <laughs> sometimes, so, you know, you know, so I've, I've always, uh, I think it was, it was, it's been 10 years now since I was like, oh, I'm going to make, make new friends at work. You know, like uh, it's it's a shame because it's where you spend the majority of your time. Right. Um, but at the same point, it's just you know, I've got my friends, I've got my circle of people that 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 are there, and they're the ones that are gonna you know uh, be invited to to the house for for dinner and whatever else it may be. Now that doesn't mean I haven't made friends working because I I certainly have, but it's it's like you said, it's it's when other people get uncomfortable because of how you're experiencing things, it, it doesn't lend itself to continuing to try to uh, bring them aboard. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that is, that is so, that is so real. And like that, having the two, having the two selves, um, I'm, I'm working pretty hard to, uh, to blend those for a few reasons. One of which, you know, my company I'm currently at is really big on bringing your authentic self to work. Um, and I'm like, me, me being in a leadership role, it's like trying to model that to make sure that, um, other people feel comfortable bringing their authentic self to work. So like, you know, I, I, a buddy of mine, um, my homeboy, Frank, he has his own apparel line and he, and he also has his own independent hip hop label. And so he, I buy a lot of merch from his joint from his, from his shop. And I, and I wear it in the work because we have a very casual dress code. Um, yeah. And I, I do that because that's who I am. And so, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to, A, 
um, model for other black folks who are at the company. Like, look, this is all right. Let's let's get more comfortable. Let's let's bring our full selves to work to to make it uh, so that folks can just kind of release some of the anxiety. And then yeah. the other pieces just for myself, right? Because like, I'm I'm sick of having to have two jobs, which is being black and then doing whatever my job is, right? Yeah. Like, I've, I, there's, I forget the name of the sister who wrote this brilliant article about it a few weeks ago, but that is, that is a thing. Like, every black person that's in the professional ranks, they have two jobs. They have to be both people all day, every day. Don't ever get to turn either one of them off, and it's, it's exhausting. And so for myself, I'm trying to give myself a timeout. And to be fair, like, no one is trying to, at my current job, is trying to push me back into like not being myself, but yeah. there is, there is a, there's a muscle memory, you know, <laughs> from my entire professional career. And so, and then, you know, as I, as I come to work, I am a unique hodgepodge of, of things. You know, I, I grew up in South LA, you know, with a, with a single mom and I was a jock. I have certain sensibilities that kind of come from that. And I still listen to hip hop, you know, mm-hmm. like as a disproportionate amount of, of my music listening, but then I'm also into all of these other things. So bringing me to work is just going to be this eclectic thing anyways. But I, I, um, I hear you about how complicated that could be. And I think for black folks moving forward, we have to figure out, is it worth our time to be at companies that don't allow us to bring our full self to work? Uh, I mean, that's a, I think that's a pretty remarkable statement to begin with because there's, <laughs> you know, I'm living in one, you're living in one now, but it's, it's, there's finally enough companies where you can just be you. And I think the muscle memory to use what you talked about is, is strong, right? Because most people, you know, I turned 40 in October. Most people that are, that are around uh, our age or my age, um, either didn't have access or weren't aware that companies existed where you could even do that. So you've got 10 or 15 years now of, <laughs> right. of build, building a muscle that's kind of like, how do I build a wall around whatever part of that might create waves that aren't okay with somebody else, right? So, yeah, that's so real. And like a funny, really short anecdote is, you know, the owner of my company, his son is a music producer, and he sent me some of his son's music a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and it's music that I would listen to, like that's legit. Cool. And I was like, yeah, oh, cool. okay, so that's what's up. One, the fact that we're able to just talk directly, but two, like he sent me like some dope hip hop, yeah. and I was like, yeah. So, I mean, I think folks should keep looking until they can find what what really works for them. But before we we get off of uh, you being this boss <laughs> CFO. Like I want to understand. So you're you're not even forty yet. So you're like on this unsung forty under forty list. Uh, yeah. I, what was what was the key to you making it to uh, the C-suite as quickly as you did? Um. God, that's a good question. And I I mean, my flippant answer is luck, but I know it's not luck. <laughs> um, so, I mean, when I look back at my career, right, I, uh, 
I came out of Purdue in Indiana. So funny to hear you tell that story because I, I certainly uh, have lived that story quite a bit. And I mean, there's a there's a inst- interesting Instagram that I stumbled upon the other day called Black at Purdue, which mm. tells a lot of stories uh, of a campus that's got my father. He went to Purdue as well. was one of the first black uh, uh, PhDs in engineering there. Uh, we can talk about that in a little while, but he, uh, when he went to school there, I think there was a little over 30,000 people and, and 900 or so were black, maybe a few less than that. Wow. Uh, I went to school there, you know, whatever it was, 20, 30, however many years later, 20 years later, uh, there were still 900 black people there, but there was almost 45,000 to 50,000 students. And I think today there's still about 900 black folks. So you know, there's interesting stories on that on that Black at Purdue uh, IG, if you will. But um, yeah, but I mean, I mean, yeah, it was that that was formative, and I think kind of kind of in a good way because you like well, I mean, even that and and coming up in Midland, Michigan, which is I think one maybe zero point five percent black, uh, you, you learned how to quote unquote fit in <laughs> right. really quickly, which, I mean, I can't, I can't look and not, and not say that that benefited because I think that it did, but I think the key is always to be ready. Um, I, I came out of Purdue in a finance rotational program at GM. Uh, my first rotation was supposed to be an 18 month rotation in this factory and funny enough, Indianapolis, um, nine months in, I finished my finance, like the project was done. Uh, I had, had crushed the project and the plant manager asked me to go work out on the floor, uh, which I'm like, why would I run production? I've got this, this accounting and finance degree from Purdue. Like, I don't know anything about how to make cars, but uh, I listened when he was like, look, this is just how you get ahead at GM. Um, went out, ran production. That job actually, uh, I was 23. I had 30 people reporting to me. Um, so it was wow. the first time I had people responsibilities and it taught me a lot, just how to deal with different people. I mean, I, I'll say to this day, if you can manage to make 90% of a unionized workforce happy and, and have them respect you, uh, it was a lot. So, right. um, you know, I took that opportunity, um, and I listened and I was ready. So I think li- being listening, listening and being ready, um, is important. Uh, but the time came, I rotated to Detroit bought a house in Detroit. Um, six months into that role was when GM announced they were going to lose whatever it was $10 billion with a B. <laughs> um, <laughs> my job was not at all what it was advertised to be. It was, you know, I, I could feel my skills dulling. Um, I was just sitting in a chair filling space. So I raised my hand because uh, they were giving out voluntary packages. Uh, so I raised my hand. I took the separation package. Um, and I called a friend of mine from Purdue named Sam, uh, and he, he, uh, introduced me to some folks at DuPont, uh, and I went out there, uh, to do auditing right while Sarbanes-Oxley was, was, was sharp and, and growing. Mm. The key, the key lesson in that for me, and it's, it's the biggest one that I can talk about is know your worth, right? Mm. You can't let somebody else define what you're worth, um, and whether that's in personal or in business, it's, it's, it's facts to me. Um, yep. And, and 
that was the first of what I would say is many job transitions. So, I, I mean, I worked at DuPont for a, a, a couple of years building controls and got promoted and was on a good career track, but I always knew I wanted to get an MBA and I always knew I wanted to get it from, from the university of Michigan, uh, Ross school of business. Um, so got that opportunity through CGSM. I left, went for the summer at BCG, learned a lot about myself at BCG. One of those things was that, you know, working 120 hours a week to try to impress somebody is not something I would voluntarily ever do. <laughs> um, right. um, left, you know, learned, took a lot from that BCG summer and went to SCJ. Uh, and that was kind of where my, my uh, career in CPG started, took off. And, it, you know, it's been a series of events after that. But I think it's, if you're ready, you're ready. Yeah. And I mean, you got to stay ready. So going back to GM, I was, they asked me to do the job. I did it. I was ready to do it. Right. At SC Johnson, my boss had a personal thing happen. He was gone for like three months and I basically did his role for three months. And this was straight out of business school, ended up getting promoted there because I was ready for the opportunity. The situation presented itself. I stepped into the gap. I did the work and he openly told me I wasn't going to promote you but you've already proved it. Right. So right. basically I got promoted two years ahead of time there. Um, got presented with an opportunity because of the level of work I was doing to go um, on an assignment in Australia, which I was ready for. Went and did that, learned a ton from that. It was integrating an acquisition actually. So it was some pretty dope work. Got to see a completely different culture. And I actually lived down there for like two months at a time. So that was pretty cool. Uh <laughs> Yeah. And then I, I wanted the job. The job I wanted was treasury, right? Because I'm in finance and you got to build a career. You got to build your, your bases out. And this is how you get, you know, if you want to be CFO, you got to know how to be, how to do treasury. Uh, so I went, I applied, I had the better background. I had the better skill set. What I didn't have was years at the company and they chose to uh, give that job to a person who uh, had been in the company for less, for, for longer than I had. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, again, knowing my worth, right? Um, that was not, that's not ever a reason in my book that somebody should get a job. And so that yep. was, that was the end, right? That was, I had already been looking externally because I just, you know, you got to know what your worth is on the open market. Um, a job got presented to me uh, and I took it. And like, you know, when I left, they basically said, it, we wouldn't be having this conversation if, if you, if you would have gotten that role in treasury. And I said, yeah, that's, that's, Right. <laughs> right. Uh, and I mean, there's several other stories like that through the career, but it's basically, you know, like I went, I went to Mike's Hard Lemonade, had some disagreements with just the culture there in general, um, moved from there to Wrigley and really enjoyed my time at Mars. Uh, and then, you know, they always said, if you, you got to be mobile, you got to do this. You also got to be kind of, for me, uncomfortable, be comfortably uncomfortable. So my wife and I moved to Philadelphia uh, for the last three years before now. That was where I became CFO for the first time. Um, we ended up selling the, uh, <laughs> the business that I was working at, which was not in the plans, uh, to an Italian company. I led a lot of that effort, integrated that, uh, got the company set up to be stable with the new company that was called Lavazza Professional. And, you know, but ultimately knew what I wanted, knew I needed to get back to Chicago where we live now. Um, 
and I mean, honestly stumbled across the place where I'm at now. And it's the best, I mean, best outcome that's ever happened. But yeah, I think for me, it's all about, it's long winded, but it's all about uh, having a plan. Like I've always had a five-year plan. I think it's about being ready and seizing the opportunity. You never know what the opportunity is going to be, whether it's, you know, um, go work on the floor or go, you know, will you, will you pick up and leave on the day after Valentine's day and a week and a half before your wife's birthday to go to Australia for two months and you won't see her for two months. That was a really, that was not a fun time for me, but I learned a, a lot from it. Right. Um, when I went to Australia or it's, will you move to work in Westchester, Pennsylvania, which who's ever heard of that before, but it right. was, you know, you know, as a CFO of a small segment of the, of the larger company thinking it's going to be your next step in your career ladder where you then get to do a huge M and a deal and ultimately, uh, gain a huge skill set boost, et cetera. Um, that enables you to be in the next step. So it's having a plan, being ready, but also knowing your worth um, and being able to walk in and have those tough conversations. Uh, yeah. And ultimately leaving. Right? Yeah. Because yeah, a company doesn't define who you are or, or, or what you're worth. So, yeah, that's, that. I mean, I thank you because you didn't, you didn't meander. Like, I thank you for walking us through that journey because there was so much wisdom in there and there's some things that you know i've learned that i'm like taking notes right now and like for <laughs> myself i'm just thinking about how to manage my career i think one of the things that originally popped up which i think is important for folks is like don't be on your own job like don't just be looking for a title and then become complacent around the title you talked about when you were at G gm and you felt your skills starting to get dull there are yep. certain folks out there who are like, they're happy with the title. I've, I've worked many places and been around people who have VPs and C's in front of their title and like they're trash. They're just not good at their job <laughs> at all. And so yeah. I think the self-awareness that you had in your early 20s and really just the, the drive and that you have to actually be good. It's not about trying to just get some titles, it's about actually developing a skill set. So you raised your hand and you made that move. Yeah, I think, I mean, you just, you hit it. I think self-aware, I, I, I mean, I, my formula is what my formula is, but I think self-awareness is key. Like, and I think learning and continuously learning. I mean, I'm learning now, right? Like I work with some phenomenal salesmen that have had 15, 20, 30 years in the industry of selling alcohol. Right. They'll always know better how to sell alcohol than I do, right? So I can learn from them. I can ask questions. I can sit back. I can grow. And it's not about what the title is because, you know, they're, they're, some of the best ideas will come from, uh, and really all of the best ideas come from the team. Yep. Right. Like at, at what I'm doing now is organizing and helping good people to grow and be better because that's what makes the company better. Yep. I, I think that's something that's really important. You start getting the senior leadership too. It's not about, you doing the work. It's not about you building the model or, you know, in, in my case as a marketer, it's not about me, you know, being the primary person that's developing the creative, you know, it's like I have a really talented um, associate brand manager on my team 
and there are projects that she that she leads with our creative team, which for mm-hmm. marketing that's the you know that's kind of like the holy grail because you get to develop these really cool, funny, hip things that go out into the world that everyone sees. And there's stuff that she's developed that's like, this is great. Like, I'm not going to change anything about it. I don't have any edits to add to it. You've crushed it. And I'm just going to sign off on it. And let's just keep going. And I think that's where I need to focus on, like, how do I make sure she continues to develop and grow and not and worry about other things within the organization, get the resources that we need, get the relationships that we need in place, not worrying about, like, always trying to then go down and do the like frontline work yep. is setting your people up to be successful. hundred percent. Yeah. So really, really quick. Um, the, before we move off this topic, the other thing yeah. that you said that I really wanted to like just shine a, a spotlight on is knowing your worth because people will sometimes will tell you. And, and I know it happens disproportionately to black folks. It just shows mm-hmm. up in the numbers in every single way they'll try and tell you that you're not worth X. Yep. And they'll do it and they'll do it and they'll do it sneakily too. I had a job, a very recent job and I'm not uh, where I took it. And I was told basically, yeah, we're going to put you at a pay level. That's minus one for now uh, because we need you just to perform for a year. Uh, And you sit in the, you say, okay. Right. Like I was kind of like, okay. Like, uh, I'm glad this will be a good learning opportunity, whatever. Uh, but it sits in the back of your throat a little bit and catches back there. Uh, yep. Like, why, why, like, is it because I'm young? Is it because I look different than these folks? Whatever it might be, right? Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I think six months into that year period, the most difficult conversation I had was with my boss. And it was basically, uh, you pay me what I'm, I'm worth or I'm out. <laughs> Good for and you. I, and I put a number on the table that I prepped for, and I, I allowed myself to get overly frustrated. And what I realized is part of what was the overly frustrating part is that it's a black, like I was a blackmail, right? And I didn't have a person or a resource to go back to, you know, like that that had either gone through something like that or had told me about it. And the shocking part of it was when I went and asked for it, A, I got what I asked for, which was great. But B, the feedback that I got wasn't that I asked for it. It was, why did I let myself get so mad about asking for it? Yeah. Uh, Because apparently it's common. And I'm like, what do you mean this is common that people go in and walk into their boss and ask ask for money? But I mean, I, I mean, I don't think it's, I think it's just something that certain folks know how to do because they've had people that coach them through it or have lived through it already that, you know, I certainly didn't. Right. Uh, but I mean, that's one of the examples. I think it's not, it's, it's also, it's not monetary. Like I spent uh, two years at SC Johnson trying to establish why we should be recruiting uh, for diverse talent um, and came with stats and was very passionate about it. And, you know, it took two years, probably shouldn't have taken two years, but it did. Um and then basically it was the, the whole, yeah, but you're not at the right letter level of to run this group. So we'll have somebody else run it. And she did a great job. I was on the team, but you know, the, the factors consistently build up. Right. And you, like yep. at the end, of the, at the end of the day, as long as you know what your point is, like how much 
shit am I going to put up with <laughs> before right. I'm before I'm out? Uh, that's what you got to know. Yeah, um, no, that's yeah. I mean, it's you. You got to know. You got to know your worth, and you have to like respect yourself enough when you know your worth to not accept less. Yeah. You know, and especially in this environment where there are lower barriers to entry for companies than there ever were before. So to your point, there are more companies that are, that are building themselves from the ground up. hundred percent. And so, and in the way in which they're building themselves, they're, they're making space for people to show up and bring their full selves and to treat everyone with respect and dignity. So like yeah. it's, it's, you have to hold people accountable. You have to know your worth and be willing 100%. to walk away. If, if people aren't, I mean, just like in any relationship, right? If people aren't yeah. treating you with the respect and dignity you deserve, then, you know, peace. I mean, like I think it. it's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's real. People put up with more from their employers. And like I said, SC Johnson, they were a great place to work. I learned a lot there. I have met great people that are, that are friends I'm friends with still. Right. But like people put up with more from their employers than they do from their spouses. Right. Right. And it's, that's bad. That, that's, that's opposite to me. Like it's, it's, you got people that'll have three divorces, but will be with the same company for 30 years just because they <laughs> feel some kind of loyalty to the company. It's, it's, it's funny to me, but yeah, no, that's, that's, that is so real. And I've, yeah, I've, <laughs> I have not every, not every company I have left have I left because I was frustrated or angry. There are times in which I've left because this it was just the right time for me to move and, and it was a better opportunity or whatever it may be. But yeah. there have been there have been companies in which I was like, I'm out. And they were they were dumbfounded. And it's like, look, you're not gonna pay me seventy five cents on a dollar, or you're not gonna have me just always be on these special task force. So you can raid my ideas for yeah. VP level, but yeah. not give me then the actual VP title of responsibility and compensation. Like you telling me that you like me. I can't, I can't deposit that. I can't, exactly. I can't put money into a 529, you know, for my nephew and niece. I can't put a down payment on a home. Like with you, were you telling me that you like me? So 100%. yeah, just get out of here with all that. But now let's like, I, okay. So I, I hear, cause I, I hear my mad rapper voice getting started and I need to, <laughs> need to, need to, need to reel it back for a second. But, um, you know, so we, we get how you professionally became like this boss CFO before you even become 40 and you've, you've been willing to go out and get the skills and do the work. And so there's like a work ethic that I hear coming yeah. through there. There's some natural talent, but there's a legitimate like hunger to do work. And I always tell people there's a lot of responsibility and work that comes with these big titles. And if Not you, if, if you want it, like you have to, you have to have some, real skill you you have to put the work in to acquire those skills so let's go back to like like where did you grow up and like where where are you from and let's let's, let's start there but i want to really go through a thread and understand like where you developed your work ethic but where are you so, from so i handed that earlier i grew up in midland michigan which is uh the hometown of dow chemical uh, i was just on the news recently uh looking crazy because it was where the dams failed in Michigan, mm, yeah, uh, where all the flooding was. So got some nationwide attention, really, for the first time, maybe even ever. Uh, but my, you know, my dad went there with my mom, uh, 
and I mean, a big part of who I am is obviously that I'm, I'm actually mixed race. So my dad is black, my mom is white. Um, but my dad went up there for a job with Dow Chemical as a uh, PhD engineer to essentially clean up the river. Um, mm. and, and he built his career successfully there, jumped around and ultimately ended up more on the business side of things, doing some M&A work, that kind of thing. So he was a huge role model uh, for me uh, yeah. in terms of business, just because, you know, I could sit at the dinner table and learn my lessons from just him talking about, man, I can't believe this and that. And, right. um, you know, it was, it was always interesting to, I, I remember him getting, uh, hopefully he won't be mad if he listens to this, but he got some feedback at one point about being kind of a pit bull when he got angry about things. And, uh, when I reflect on that, it, it goes back to the, the authentic self part. Like you should be okay to be a pit bull when you're mad about something because you want it to be better. You're not mad at the person. You're not mad at it. You're mad at whatever it is. that's not right. So, but that was negative feedback he got. And I'm just like, I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, yeah. But I mean, Midland itself is, like I said, I think it's probably 0.1% black. Um, I had a, uh, and, and it's interesting. And it's interesting as a, as a mixed kid growing up, because you'd hear uh, some of the racial slurs that would get thrown at your mom, uh, which all she's trying to do. And keep in mind, my parents got married, I think eight years maybe even maybe even less than that after the the loving decision so like there were still a lot of people in the world that thought it should be illegal for black people to be able to marry white people right it's um, it's just so bizarre like because i've i've had i've i've been that dude who's been like yelling and no one's been listening like i've been yelling since the 90s that racism wasn't that long ago and because everyone's like oh racism is forever ago it's a thing of the past it's like you're 39 years old and your parents got married like basically right after it became legal for black and white people to get married like racism was not that long ago these are the people who raised you yeah. who birthed you and, and the, it was and barely the, and the legal ones for in them the pictures married. and the ones in the pictures that were in the 60s and 70s that were screaming at people coming home and throwing epithets most of right. them are 70 now. I mean, they're my parents' age. So right. they're, not only is racism around, um, it's still like alive and well, literally. Yeah. And they <laughs> um, raised a whole new generation. And raised people. a whole new generation. But yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, Midland was, uh, Midland was Midland. It was a really, you know, it was a good place to raise a family um, and a good place to grow up, quote unquote, safe. Right. Um, yeah. I didn't have in elementary school. I think there may have been one other black kid uh, that was in the school. Um, I think when I got to middle school, there was some, and then high school, there was a lot more, but you know, you learn how to, <laughs> I can't say you learn how to be yourself because again, uh, you know, being your true authentic self and some of the experiences that I saw, I mean, my dad's from Louisville, Kentucky, uh, grew up on the West End, uh, you know, my, my, one of a lot of kids, um, and, you know, uh, will tell stories about playing, uh, with clothespins, uh, for toys, you know, right. like, like, 
like, so he's a pretty remarkable guy. And my mom, same kind of story. I mean, she grew up in Ashland, Ohio, which is a super small town, but she uh, also, you know, her, her mom and dad moved around a lot, trying to, trying to find jobs, finally got a job. But what was consistent through both of them and what's consistent with my family and it's important is that you, you, you put family first. So that's also one of the things that's important to me. There was a lot of love in the house, which was, which was good. Um, I mean, and like I said, but, but you learn how to work through it. Like there were times when I would go on the playground and I remember it vividly that I had some, this was like first grade. Somebody would run up and be like, well, I can't be friends with you because you're an I. And I'm like, I hit that, dude, <laughs> hit that dude in his mouth. And it was right. like, no, we're not, we're not going there. And like, he went and told on me and they were like, how did you know he wasn't going to spell N-I-C-E? And I'm like, I'm not dumb. Like, let's, right. let's, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm the only one out here with curly hair. Like, I know what's going on. I know what's going on in, 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 in the streets and I'm, only six or whatever it was right and then yeah. you flash you flash forward to fifth grade and there's a girl that's like well my dad said i can't date black people and her dad was the chief of police um so that was fun uh but you know you learn i learned from an early age that you just got to work and i can remember my parents saying very clearly you got to be two times better you got to be three times better you got to put up with like people are going to say this stuff um, like I Oof. played, a, I played a lot of sports. I played basketball. I played, I, I ran track. I, you know, I just, I had a lot of fun as a, as a kid, but I can remember my mom being like, you can't count on like sports. <laughs> you yeah. gotta, you, you gotta keep your grades up. You know, they, I mean, they stayed on me about school and studying and making sure I, so, you know, I learned how to be on a team from team sports. I learned what it was going to be like in corporate America from Midland, Michigan. Um, <laughs> right. And, and I mean, I learned a work ethic that I got to go harder than everybody else does that I've applied my whole career um, from my parents. Right. Um, and I mean, in a solid church family and all that other kind of, all, all those other kind of things that, you know, it's easy to take for granted uh, because it was always there, but it was uh, a big part for me. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you had those things. And I want to just call out really quickly this whole idea of you have to be twice as good to get the way I heard you got to be twice as good to get half as much. Yep. So some people might say you got to be twice as good to get treated the same or whatever it is. But this burden of having to be twice as good. And the thing that I find that's profound about it is it's not a regional thing. Black people all over America, like before you get the birds and the bees talk, you get this talk yeah. of having to be twice as good and being held to this much higher standard. And it just creates all the stress and this anxiety. And I think it's real. It's not black folks aren't being delusional or paranoid. Like it, it, I think it's I think it's good advice. Yeah. I think it's accurate. But I also recognize and this is me talking specifically to black folks right now, is this also not good for your mental health. So mm -hmm. there's, this, there's this duality to it, right? You have to find a way to have an outlet. You have to find a way to ultimately get to a place like where you're at now, where you can mm -hmm. bring your authentic self to work, where you don't have to always be twice as good. Because and I think you can flip it. You can flip it. Like, I think that 
for me, I flipped that, right? Like the other thing we used to talk about all the time is you're kind of the best of both worlds, right? Like I could, I knew what it was like from my dad's experiences. I knew what my mom's experiences were like. Like I had a set of grandparents that voted for Reagan and I had a set of grandparents that voted for Dukakis or whatever. I mean, I don't know yeah. if it's the wrong election, but you know what I'm saying? I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I had those experiences and, and but what was unique about it was, you know, it was, it was all love, but when it comes to working twice as hard at some point in the last, I don't know, 25 years, really in the last 10, I've realized that I had been working twice as hard. Right. And that's my advantage. And like, yeah, it's mentally mm -hmm. stressing, but as soon as you realize this has made me better than a lot of other people. And I don't like to talk about it this way, but it, it is what it is. Like, yep. it becomes a benefit. It becomes like, it goes back to knowing what you're worth. It goes back to like, once you can get over that hump of, man, you just got to grind, you got to grind, you got to grind. It's like, you don't really have to grind. You're already better. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's the, for me, that's an unlock. Like, you're already better. Like, you've already got the more skill sets. You already know how to relate to other people because you have to. Like, you don't get the opportunity as a black person to say, I'm only going to be around black people for my whole life. Right. Right. So you have to be able to relate to people differently. Right. You, and, 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 and come at it from where other people are coming at it and take in multiple opinions and do all these other things that, that a lot of people take for granted. Right. But our unlock, I think, is when you, when you realize that that's a pro <laughs> and mm. not a con. Right. And lean into it. Like there's a brother that I know that, that, that does executive recruiting and he's like black, talent is the number one hottest commodity. And I want everybody to hear this. The number one hottest commodity in the workplace, black talent They they get placed easier. They're more mobile. Um, and, and frankly, in today's environment, they're getting paid more at the mm. top levels of companies because the companies that realize what black talent brings have to differentiate and have to develop them differently. And when they don't, black people are more willing to leave. And I think it goes yeah. back to as soon as you lean into knowing your worth and knowing that like this thing that's been a struggle, like I remember vividly, that's not fair. Like that was the thought. It's not fair that you have to work twice as hard because it's not fair. But right. my mom and my dad used to also say life isn't fair. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. That's real. Yeah. So, and then so, on the yeah. other side of it, though, you're now this, you're so much more equipped i remember reading in tani he coat's book eight years in power um there was a section where he talked about you know there's this like the horrible reality of black folks in america will never be able to connect back to our african roots in a, in a truly like authentic way where it, it forms an identity because africa is a, is a continent right like we, yep. we can't connect back to like no but i'm from this tradition of people, I'm from this country or um, this ethnic group because we're, we're not, but he flipped it on his head and similar to what you did with this having to be twice as good, the way in which he flipped it, which I thought was quite profound, is our unifying identity is the, is the fact that we've been through this hell and yeah. we made it through and now we are we're forged in fire, so to speak. And 
we are battle tested and resilient and there there are there are positives that come from we would have never chosen it but there are there are there are some positives that we have from having been through what we've been through the past 400 years in this country and we can use it as an asset going forward very similar to having to be twice as good and dealing with that burden that burden mm-hmm. that burden now you look up and you're where you're at in your career and you and have so it, yeah and go it, it, it goes back to the muscle memory you were talking about earlier right yeah. If we can use muscle memory to our advantage, and this is a conversation that, that I had with a, a mutual friend of ours uh, as he was looking for a new job. And I basically said, ask for what you want. Mm. You'll get it. Ask for what you want. Like, don't let, like, we always think twice, man. Like, like always think twice. And it's part of the conditioning, but like, am I asking for too much? Should I feel bad asking for this? Like, is there like, like, ask for what you want like go at it like you are as entitled as some of the other people that you work with every day and i mean ask (laughs) and we've had a lot of open conversations about it but like he asked and he got it yeah that's real right no i mean i think sometimes people are scared to be told no i think is what it boils down to and this like myself included like no one's no one's immune to this yeah. Right, so sometimes you don't want to you don't want to press the line on a particular issue because what if they say no, right? Pe- people have people have choices. But one of my um, favorite quotes, I I don't even remember who said it anymore, but it's become like I don't want to pretend like I made it up. I know that I read it somewhere and I've yeah. quoted it so many times now um, that it's I definitely internalize it. It's it's basically if someone's willing to walk out of your life, let them go. Which yeah. I, yeah. I equate to if someone doesn't value you, that's no indication on what your actual worth is. That's 100%. just a reflection of what they value. And you have to be okay with someone um, saying, you know, and I also think a lot of times people are um, they're calling your bluff. And I don't want yeah. to give away too much information, but you know, people people have left, and uh, in this particular situation, you know, um, our mutual friend did go on about his business, and um, you yeah. know, the, the the folks that like <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to say this, but basically, the the people who called his bluff are way worse off for it, and now they're, they're yeah. So it's important to know your worth and go on about your business. And I, and I think that the other part that, that's true, and this comes from growing up where I grew up, is you got to have a support system, right? Yeah. Um, I think that my parents were a great support system growing up. Uh, uh, they kind of let me be me, you know, which, 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 I mean, they always would say, remember who you are before I would, re- before I would leave out to go out for the night or whatever. So like, don't make no stupid mistakes. Don't do anything that's going to embarrass the family name, that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, uh, but they also were willing to let me learn my own lessons, sometimes the hard way, uh, with consequences, of course. Uh, right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that that led on to college at Purdue. And, I mean, I've, I was lucky enough to, to meet my wife there. Uh, and she's been my support system through a lot of stuff. She's a senior executive at her company too. Um, and it's been pretty remarkable, like 
she's had to sacrifice. We moved to Philadelphia for my job and her company was like, yeah, we'll let you work remote, which was a huge sacrifice for her. And one that I wow. never, I never take lightly. Right. And I internalize, I don't talk about it a lot, cause, but you know, it's, she's an important part of my support system now and is the one that believes, you know, like, I think there's times that she's, she's, she, she's been there when she like, as we talked about, I've been at a lot of different companies knowing your worth, et cetera, but she's been a voice there that's been consistent about like, if you're unhappy, like go like figure it out. Like we'll figure it out. So that's, uh, that's dope. I, yeah, I, I, I had saw something, I saw something recently where people are like, you know, making fun of the whole concept of ride or die. Right. It's like, well, 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 what are we writing for? Why do we have to die? Like, you know, I thought that was a really like cheeky, clever, like Instagram, you know, like yeah. social media <laughs> take. But it was like, well, well, the first question is the most important. What are we writing for? And if you're writing for something that's like worthwhile and it's intergenerational, yeah, like positive, then yeah, like you, like you need to, you need to have a ride or die in your corner. Um, and I think it's so dope that you have one. And when one of the things that's a that's a theme in in, in bootstraps, and it's just it's a it's a fundamental premise that you know it pops out in everyone's story, and I make sure to, to highlight it is we do have to work twice as hard to get half as much or whatever that ratio may be somewhere in that ballpark. But we also we don't do it alone. Mm-hmm. This this myth of like this solo solo black hero is false. Like. You are an exceptional man and you're doing amazing things in your career, but there have been people around to help you as well. And I think there's something for, for people to understand, like you need a support network. You need a, you need a team in place. And yep. thankfully for you, it, it, like your wife is a part of that team for you. It may look different for different people. Some people may not be married. Some people may be in whatever situation they might find themselves in, but you always need a support network. If if you're trying to do great things, you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. Yes, you know. Um, and so, talk talk to me a little bit about what um, the experience was like in your years at Purdue. So, like the numbers been <laughs> roughly 900 black people. It seems like forever. Like they they have a, they have a cap. We ain't letting in more than 900 black people. And that's just kind of what it's yeah, going to be. But what was that like? I mean, it's so. You know, it's funny because Purdue like in a way Purdue was like, Oh man, like my people, <laughs> like there's, there's yeah. nine, like there's, there's 900 instead of 10, you know? <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> uh, but so I started on a business opportunities program there, which was for, uh, you know, black and Brown students. It was run by a guy who just, it should be a legend. His name was uh, Dr. Bell. He passed away. God, 10 years ago now, but he was like a giant. Like he was just this old brother that knew everybody in every company and had lived through the affirmative action battles and got people placed and held companies to task and would call his former students to give current students all that kind of stuff. So he was awesome. Uh, it was central to the community there. Uh, but, you know, I got a head start. I got, we, I, four days after I graduated high school, I was at Purdue. Uh, in a class of like 30 of us. Uh, so it was nice because I had a support system off the bat there of people that looked like me 
um, that had shared experiences like me. Um, and we stayed friends, you know, I'm friends with some of them still today. And I mean, friends, friends, not Facebook friends. <laughs> right, um, right. um, but you know, I, I went there and I realized, man, this is the, this is the experience. These are dope people. Like I'm learning, I'm growing. I was like, you know, I'm, <laughs> there's no way that I'm going to do like, go and join, go rush some frat freshman year and do Tau Kepa Epsilon or whatever. So, uh, like, you know, it got introduced to the divine nine organizations that were on the yard there, uh, did membership intake with Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I became the president of that chapter there. So I'm, you know, it, it, it's very, Alpha is a big part of who I am. I met great brother. And I mean, when I mean lifelong friends, I got lifelong friends that are part of my ecosystem uh, that, 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 you know, I just had a, I had a video call with my sans last week, just talking about life and, one person is an entrepreneur, a couple of them are entrepreneurs, one person's a senior exec, one, but everybody's doing their own thing and we can always get back together and just kind of joke and, and laugh about the world a little bit. But like, that was the family. Those two things were the families that got me through Purdue. Right. <laughs> if you yeah. will. Like uh, when I was a junior or a senior, I forget which year Purdue ran. Um, it was when Denzel won the uh, Oscar. Um, mm. but there was this political cartoonist out of DC who drew an ad about, uh, they also demand Oscars and it depicted black people as apes and mm. the student newspaper put it in. Mm. Uh, and, uh, I used being, you know, president of my chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha we protested, you know, it's funny. I did a, some of the stuff my, my dad did while he was there. My dad led a bunch of protest groups at, at Purdue for, for change, right? Uh, we marched in the, on, the, on the hall. We, we did press conferences. And one of the press conferences got picked up by Fox News in its infancy. Um, and Purdue did me the wonderful favor of not privatizing emails. Um, so Ooh. I got, I, I remember vividly, I had some fanatical guy that wrote me a letter an email that told me I was trying to start the next race war and I needed to be a good boy and play in my own yard. Um, so, you know, interesting experience, interesting in quotation marks, but, uh, the group got me through it. That family section that I got, got me through it. And I mean, Purdue was a great education and I got a lot of, I mean, I have friends of all, ethnicities, races, colors from Purdue that, that I love dearly to this day. Uh, one of my best friends, like I talked about Sam, he's a, he's a, a white guy that I met there. Um, but he's like, he's like a brother to me now. Um, yeah. so like you met, I just met good people and had the opportunity to do that. But like the foundation that got me through some of those, you know, uh, some of the, the more country, brethren that were in the school there um, right it was all about the community so it was i was i was glad that i had that so yeah yeah it's it's important to always have a support network that respects and cares for your identity now yeah. that that disproportionately tends to be black folks 
or yep. black and brown folks if you are yep. a black person that's trying to make it. But there's always there, there there have always been people of different races who get it right. And like I was actually on the phone with the with a homeboy of mine. We've been we've been homies since I was eight years old. Like legitimate yep. homies. Like this is my my man's an undergrad, and these are white girls grew up playing baseball with. And yep. we have been friends this entire time. And, um, like, his family is like my family. I used to go over to his house. Like, sometimes I used to, like, like my forehead was going to explode just dealing with the yeah. stuff I was dealing with in my neighborhood. And, I, I mean, I just remember during baseball season, and then eventually it began to be outside of baseball season, moms and pops was cool. I would just come over and spend a whole weekend. I come yep. over on Friday night and I didn't look up and I'm not going not going home to Sunday, but I just needed that I needed that little time out from whatever 100%. was happening. Um and they never made it into a thing. I wasn't tokenized or trivialized because I was super sensitive to those things too. And if they would have ever come at me that way, then it wouldn't even been that type of relationship. I wouldn't have wanted to be there. Yeah. And he's somebody who has been it's not just him, his his mom and his dad and his little sister. They have been in my life and in my corner since I was eight years old. And I, I have many anecdotes. I can go on and on and on about other people <laughs> who, are, who are not black. But I think it goes back. He, he and his family, they go back the, the longest with me. And I remember in high school, because of who I was and who my core group of friends were, and then people would see me kicking it with my homeboy, Ryan. Yeah. And they're like, I, I don't get it. You know what I mean? It's like, like, your, yeah, your, your cousin's Harbor City Crip. Your homies are Harbor <laughs> City Crip. You're a football player, How'd like you're a basketball player, <laughs> and you kicking it with all of these yeah. dudes that yeah. are any spectrum of like the whole spectrum of like the black hood cool kids. Like I kicked it with, and then they would see me kicking it heavy with Ryan. They were like, "I don't get it." Like, look, this is my dude. He's been my dog since I was eight. He's gonna be my dog until the wheels fall off. It's what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's what's up, man. So look. Before I let you get out of here, man, I have uh, four questions I need to get you to answer, and these are these are meant to be um, inspirational and enlightening for other folks as they're trying to figure out their journeys. And the first one is, you know, like you know, like, think about the little kid coming over and says, "I can't play with you because yeah. you're N I right." And yeah. we've we've had those moments our entire life, and sometimes you you do need to. Literally or proverbially, hit somebody in their mouth. <laughs> um, but you get you get to a point where it's like, all right, you know, you, you need to handle things differently. You need to develop a different uh, skill set. Yeah, we different can't be tools. six. We can't be six forever. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So to, <laughs> to that end, you, you tell me a time uh, when someone went low, but you went high, and it turned out to be in your best interest. Oh man, um, there's so many examples, especially in the professional <laughs> world. But I think the the biggest one, and I'll never forget it, was uh, I was sitting. I had a, a a boss, and I was in a one-on-one with her, uh, and she looked at me and she said, "You don't talk like a black person." <laughs> and I I looked at her. And I said, uh, what do you mean? And she said, you know, like the movies. (laughs) (laughs) She doubled down. Okay. Okay. Uh, And, you know, uh, 
she was from Asia. So we'll, we'll put that out there that there was some cultural relevancy that was missing, but that doesn't excuse it because she had gotten to the level she was at the company that I was at. Uh, right. And so I actually said, uh, you know, maybe you should go look at the great debaters or whatever that movie was that had the yep. black debate team in it. Um, with, to with her. Denzel. Yeah. Yeah. To, to her. And then I walked, uh, and I wasn't going to put up with it, but it also wasn't worth like exploding. And you know, I mean, you know, the natural intensity mm. that I had as my blood pressure went up was to curse her out and, and right. move, move on with my life. But that would have resulted in me being in fault and not her. Right. So you go right. high. And I went and I talked to my mentor there who talked to somebody who talked to somebody who talked to somebody. And eventually the, my boss got like <laughs> effectively demoted. <laughs> Right. And, and moved out of the role because it was clear she couldn't be trusted with that level of responsibility. Um, and it was the same role where I had a, a huge opportunity that came up and I took it. Right. Uh, so. Right. It goes back to, you got to live through it, but you got to be, you got to handle it, uh, be able to put those really FU emotions in the box. Right. And come out the other side and, and, and figure out exactly how tactfully do I handle this situation. I let people know I wasn't comfortable with her being my boss after those statements. But at the same Ooh. time, I still wanted to be at the company and learn and grow. And both things happened. So Right, right. And that's, I mean, that's, that's how you got to be twice as good. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you handled it that way. Right? <laughs> it, it didn't lead to this great opportunity yeah. <laughs> for yeah. you. But boy, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, oof. yeah, that would have. that's the most overt one that that is the most overt one there's there's plenty you know less obvious ones but yeah well kudos to you man um next next question uh if you were to describe your journey in one word what would it be Mm. rewarding hmm and you know, I I, I kind of I talked I talked about my life. I talked with Solana last night. That's my wife about about just life. And I was like, man, like it's rewarding now. Um, right. It's rewarding now. Like the job that I have, I'm my authentic self. That's it's a great group of people. We have a lot of fun. We work hard. We strike the right balance. We're trying to grow the company. Like it's rewarding. You would ask me that a couple of years ago. The answer could have been tiring. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, rewarding. Yeah, I mean that's that's where you know you the the you have to go through the dark days. You know, you got to put whatever the the metaphor is. Like a football one is popping to mind for me right now. Like if you want to shine on Friday night, you know, under the bright lights and do well, it's like I didn't just end up on the stage. You know, yeah, you know prepared to come up and make this game saving tackle on yeah. fourth down on Friday night. Like we worked all summer and we 100%. went through the, two, went through the tour days in the LA heat and prepared and prepared and prepared. And, you know, now you're, you're at the point in your journey where you're able to reap the rewards of, you know, all the stories you've been able to share with us today, which it's, it's super, super dope to, to hear them play out. Um, if, if someone were to ask you, like, what's your definition of success in life? It doesn't have to be everyone's definition of success, but how are, how are you guiding your life and making your decisions 
to work towards this idea of success? Like, what does that look like? I think being happy, like mm. being truly like it's, it's happiness. It's, it's, you know, um, and part of it's, again, I ground, I, 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 I did what I was supposed to do to be successful in the corporate ladder. I climbed, I climbed, I climbed and I was tired. Right. Right. Um, like I was flying, I flew 120,000 miles, um, in 2019, uh, and live my life in not knowing what time zone I was in half the time and just kind of, when do I sleep? When do I wake up? Whatever. Wow. Um, but like, it's happiness. It was, it, it truly is like, if you surround yourself with people that make you happy and things that make you happy, like in everybody's definition of happiness is different, but that's also success. Yep. Yeah. I mean, happiness, happiness comes from within and, I'm sure the numbers have skewed or changed a little bit now with inflation and whatever, but a study came out. Um, I forget the name of the author, but a few years ago, basically happiness increases with income up until about $75,000 yep. on average in the United States. I think different markets here in the Bay area, that number is definitely higher than $75,000, <laughs> but you know, more or less like you get to a point and then it's like, more income doesn't bring any more happiness, yep. which gets to your point, right? It's like, it's the people and the experience and the things around you that ultimately matter. And so figuring out like what that is for you and, and, and then investing in those things. And it sounds like for you, those it's, it's family. It's family. That- it's friends. It's, it's, it's friends that become family. I mean, yeah. when I was in Philadelphia, I had a group of people that kept me sane. Right. And that might've meant going out and having some drinks, uh, often uh when i was around having having good people around uh you know it's 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 100 percent. it's family it's friends it's uh sports which can't get back soon enough uh, <laughs> <laughs> right you, you know it's it's the thing like everybody's got things that, that make them happy and, and yeah i mean income definitely helps because uh, travel is one of the things that makes me happy too but uh all of those things like if you're in a place where you're like, you could be seen as being successful by any objective standards, but you're not happy, then I don't think that's success. Right. Absolutely. Completely agree. Um, Last question I have for you uh, today is there's a lot that comes with uh, being a black man, including, you know, being being told by the daughter of the chief of police, <laughs> you know that they can't deal with you because you're black. Like it's it's just it's constant, it's pervasive. It's it starts at birth. You know, I I was watching uh, I don't remember Jane. I forget her name. It's the the brilliant white woman who's been doing like racism trainings for like the past thirty forty yeah, yeah. years. Um, Jane something. But anyways, she was like, black people can't ever escape racism. Like even when they go inside their home, yeah. they cut the TV on, they're being hit with it. So yeah. there, there is that side of it. And, but there's also a lot of great things. And ultimately, it's something that I personally wouldn't trade for anything in the world. Like I love being a black man. So I would love to know like, what is it that you love the most about being a black man? 
I mean, everything. <laughs> 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 like, like it's easy to say that, but it, but I mean it. Like, it's it's everything, man. It's it's uh, it's a. I mean, it's culture. It's having a certain flavor. It's 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 a shared experience that you know, like you can, you know at the end of the day, and and it doesn't matter. You know, obviously, me being light skinned I I live that experience a little bit differently than than other people do. But at the end of the day, it's it's you know, knowing what the head nod means. You know, you, you know right. what I mean, and, and knowing that it's a struggle and, and, and it's also a reward and you've got people that are going to be there for you just cause you're you. Right. Uh, but, but I mean, you, you know, everything, there's a, there's a shirt that I, that I saw that I, I want to get that basically is we created the culture they monetized. <laughs> um, and yeah. I just like, you know, I think it, it teaches you again, it goes back. I've kind of put this in a lot of my comments, but it, 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 it teaches you from a very young age, how to appreciate things, I think more deeply and to not take things for granted. Mm, yep. So that's, yeah, that is so, so real. Like I think about all the best moments in my life especially around achievement and just the depth of emotion that comes with it because there's an appreciation, there's a contrast from these really dark days and dark moments. Yep. It's like, wow, I made it all the way to here. I'm achieving X, Y, Z. That's, that's dope, man. Well, look, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on bootstraps and, um, share your journey um, with us because I think there's just so much to learn. I'm going to listen to this episode myself several times because there's so many career gems in here for me to like think about and learn from and try and, you know, and enhance my skill set as well. But um, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on here, Ted. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, man. Talk soon. <laughs> All right. Talk to you.